is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Tuesday, December 6, 2022, and today will be better than yesterday. Producing from the pulpit, the Reverend Taylor Schwenk. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana. And Taylor, I got to say, I feel pretty good about our conversations we had on the podcast yesterday because we talked about Justin Verlander and the Mets. And mm-hmm. right after we got done taping the podcast, that happened two years, $86.6 million. And Dave Schoenfield and I were in total agreement that Trey Turner would go to the Phillies. And that happened, 11 years and $300 million. You know, Buster, the one thing that I don't like about working in podcasting is that lack of immediacy. So, you know, we're done. This news breaks. I'm about to put the show out. I start scrubbing through to, like, I I couldn't quite remember, you know, what you guys said about the Phillies and and the Mets. And I was like, oh. They nailed it. Okay, this is fine. And because we are a hardworking podcast, we're back at it today to actually discuss it. So if you were listening, you're like, oh, this is a little dated. Trust us. We got your back. Yep, that that's 100% right. Uh, and I would tell you this, uh, the Trey Turner signing in a landing with the Phillies for $300 million might not be the most interesting thing that happened in the Trey Turner bidding. Mm. Uh, and we're going to get into that with Paul Hembikides coming up. There's a really interesting uh, fact that uh, we learned about how that played out that's going to have a major ripple on the market for the rest of the winter time. All right, some other moves yesterday. The Angels made an aggressive move in the bullpen market, signing reliever Carlos Estevez to a two-year, $13.5 million deal. The Dodgers uh, formally announced they have re-signed left-hander Clayton Kershaw for 2023 for $20 million. Yankees fans are waiting uh, for news about Aaron Judge. And what they got yesterday was news from the Yankees that they have re-signed general manager Brian Cashman to a four-year contract. That is not a surprise. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, you know, over here at ESPN Podcast, we have the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorse. We've got the Low Post with Zach Lowe. Now we have the CJ McCollum show with CJ McCollum, New Orleans Pelican star. You're only going to get his perspective uh, on this podcast from his time on the court in the locker room. It's all good stuff. Check out the CJ McCollum show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Jumping into the numbers. This is Hembo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Hembo, of course, is Paul Mbikides, a researcher at ESPN who's graduated into much more important roles that we're not going to get into today because we got to talk about, Hembo, your Phillies signing Trey Turner to an 11-year, $300 million deal. What do you think? (laughs) 
<laughs> muster. <laughs> this might surprise you and others to hear me say as a lifelong fan of that team. But 11 years for Trey Turner is a deeply irresponsible contract. I mean, Dave Dombrowski will okay, give Okay, I just want to cut speech. in. I'm going to cut in before you finish your thought. I'm going to tell you okay. you're wrong. I'll wait for you to finish your thought, and then I'm going to explain why you're wrong. Okay, fair enough. I, I think Dave Dombrowski will wind up giving his Hall of Fame speech <laughs> while the Phillies are still paying Trey Turner. And the methodology by which the Phillies are building this team, I view to be a deeply unserious one. Their top six players now combined to have contracts of more than $1 billion. And that does not mean that the Phillies won't enjoy enormous prosperity in the short term. And no one has more to gain than that uh, from that than I do. I'll be there. I'll be cheering them on. But here's what's for sure. Dave Dombrowski will leave my favorite team in a pile of rubble the same way that he did his last two teams. Since he left Detroit, they own the second worst record in the major league. Since he left Boston, they finished last in the American League East in two of those three seasons. The question is not, will he, but only, will it be worth it? So it might surprise you to hear. That was actually my initial reaction to the signing. Okay. Why do you think it's a bad long-term investment? Well, because Trey Turner is eligible to play 1,782 regular season games across his 11-year contract. And Buster, 81 of those will come in his 20s. <laughs> 81. And the biggest reason I don't like it is he doesn't have what I like to call old man skills. His biggest asset, of course, is premium speed. That is the first skill that goes with any player that has it. It's going to depreciate his value as a base runner, as a defender, and it's going to also reduce the high number of infield hits that he has that I told you about last week. He also doesn't really profile as a hitter that I think is all that likely to flourish. Just last season, for example, he ranked in the 48th percentile in average exit velocity, in the 25th percentile in walk rate. For his career, he's got two and a half times more strikeouts than walks to go along with a 355 on base percentage. If I'm paying a player through his 30s, I need to know for sure that he's going to hit because all the other ancillary skills wind up going by the wayside. Why do you think it's a great short-term investment? Well, because he's the exact kind of player that will benefit from all these rules changes. He might be one of the very best athletes in all of baseball. We know there will be more stolen bases um, because of the rule changes with the pitch clock specifically, and up the middle defense is going to matter more than ever because of the shift restriction. Over the last two years, Turner's got 59 steals on 67 chances. There is no reason why he couldn't average, say, 40 to 50 steals a year until that speed goes over the first few years of the deal. And his well-roundedness is not just noteworthy, Buster. It is legitimately unprecedented, all right? So he averages more than 20 homers and more than 40 steals for every 162 games he plays. That along with a 300 batting average. Buster, he is the only player in the history of Major League Baseball to do those three, uh, three things through his 20s. He is the only one. And with an average annual value of about $27 million, it's actually going to give the Phillies a decent amount of flexibility. It wasn't the kind of contract that's going to kill you year to year in that sense. It obviously will kill you down the line. But for right here, right now, over the next few years, the Phillies are going to make out like a bandit. Yeah, and I'd say this. As soon as I saw the contract, I'm like, oh, they did the same thing with Turner that they did with Bryce Harper, where their feeling mm -hmm. was, okay, you want to reach a benchmark in dollars, uh, in other words, on the player's side, and we want to spread this out over the term of the contract a little bit more so we can, you know, handle the average annual value. So you remember when Bryce Harper got his contract, I think it was a record. It was $335 million. It was a record for outfielders. So he got his number. Bryce Harper got his number. And the Phillies gave him 13 years, uh, you know, and they're able to spread that out so they can say he's a $25 million a year player. With Turner, it's the same thing. 
I don't think anybody with the Phillies really believes he's going to be with the team for the 11 years. They just wanted to spread out the dollars. So I thought that was okay. And here's the thing. If it's $27 million a year, you're talking, Hembo, about a player who, yes, he doesn't necessarily have old man skills. I agree with you. You know, you get these guys who who have a tendency to to be hyper-aggressive and swinging, as Turner does. You know, the end of the career can get ugly. But you're talking about a guy who, in the last six years, even though he's had injuries, 4.9 war, according to Fangraphs, 4.2 war, 2.7 war, in 2020, just in those, uh, you know, in the 59 games short season, 6.8 war, 6.3 war. I think that he's going to be a productive player, Hembo. Like, I, I, he may not be a shortstop for more than a couple of years. He might move to second. He might move the outfield. Uh, but I think they're going to get good value out of him because he's got power. He's got speed. Uh, and he'll give him enough production to offset $27 million a year. Does that make sense? Uh, Yes, he's going to be a great player for years one through three. He's going to be a good one for years four through six. But then you're going to have to take a $150 million bath. That's not going to be Dave Dombrowski's bath to take. It's going to be John Middleton's bath to take. It's going to be my bath to take as a fan of the team. And let me ask you, Buster, who's the, who would you say right now is the smartest team in baseball? If you had to just throw out a team out there, the smartest team in baseball, who would you pick? Yeah, and, and I, I look, uh, you could define that different ways. Each team has different uh, – you know, they have, uh, you know, different ways of trying to win within the budgets they have. They have a different context. I think the Dodgers are from top to bottom in terms mm-hmm. of drafting, developing, uh, and, and continuing to get players to improve once they reach the big league level. And which team in baseball has the most money to spend on balance? The Dodgers or the Yankees? The Dodgers are the answer to both questions, in my judgment. Trey Turner was just in the Dodgers building for the last 15 months, and best I can tell, the Dodgers made zero effort to re-sign him. So if I'm a fan of the Phillies this morning, I'm thinking to myself, okay, the Dodgers just had Trey Turner for two pennant runs here. They made, best I can tell, zero effort to re-sign the guy. That is not to say that they don't think he's a good player or that he's worth some kind of long-term investment, or maybe they see a, a future in the, down the pike with other uh, you know, potential prominent free agents. You never know. Maybe they'll do something else this offseason. Only time will tell. What I can say for sure is that if the Dodgers don't want the guy, I'm not so sure I'm going to be give, uh, give a, uh, a guy $300 million, especially when they have 15 months of in-house data that say what he might be worth into the future. Oh, okay, we've got six minutes left uh, in my conversation with you, uh, and I want to dive into this. You know, The Phillies spent a lot of money on Trey Turner, and here's the crazy thing. They were not close to having the highest offer on the table. They weren't wow. close. That team was the San Diego Padres, who had an offer on the table to give Trey Turner the biggest contract ever for a shortstop. And look, they didn't get the player. You know, Trey Turner, you know, his family considerations in the East Coast, it was well known among teams. That was his preference. But the Padres' willingness to give Turner that kind of contract to me might be the biggest piece of information we've gotten in the last three weeks. Because what it tells me is, the Padres are in a mode in which the Peter Seidler, their owner, has decided, you know what? Cost be damned. I'm not going to worry about my franchise value. I'm not going to worry about profits. I'm not going to worry about anything. I just want to win a championship. He wanted Trey Turner. Seidler did. Made him a huge offer. So now that they don't get him, I got to believe they will pivot hard to another player. Maybe that's Carlos Correa, who's, as you and I have talked about, probably the best shortstop on the board. Maybe that's Xander Bogarts, who's a guy who would have flexibility. And this is the one that's really intriguing for me, Hembo. 
if you were willing to give Trey Turner, you know, 350, $360 million, why would you not pivot to Aaron Judge, who is a California native? We talk so much about the Giants. If you're just trying to win a championship and you're willing to spend $360 million, $400 million in the way the Padres are, why not take a run at Aaron Judge? Does that make sense? Yeah, right now there's an earthquake happening inside of my brain. You just blew my mind. So um, it, it all makes sense. Truly, th- that was an astonishing uh, piece of information that will take us in any number of directions. If the Padres had set aside $360 million for Trey Turner, and let's say even for the sake of conversation that they viewed him as the number one shortstop on the market, or maybe they viewed their trade of him back in the day as something they sort of wanted to uh, pay for their transgressions to bring him back for, whatever. It means that they're willing to spend that kind of money. That's what it truly, it means they have that much more in their coffers and they're sort of empowered by the postseason run this year as well they should be. They also recognize that within the landscape of their division, like you just detailed, the Dodgers can outspend you and outsmart you. So the, Dodger, the Padres' best path forward is to try and match them, at least in some sense. Can you imagine a lineup that includes Juan Soto and Aaron Judge? Can you imagine uh, a lineup that includes uh, you know all the guys that they have plus Correa or Bogarts? Not to mention, you could even pair some of that money and spread it across a little bit. I'm not sure you couldn't get both Bogarts and someone like Carlos Rodon or another sort of B-free agent, if you will, for that kind of money. If, if, if the Padres are willing to spend like that, they're going to remain a prominent factor and become one of the most interesting teams that there is. And honestly, if you're talking about a potential third team, in addition to the Yankees and Giants and the Aaron Judge sweepstakes, Aaron Judge's yes. contract, based upon the ridiculous contracts that have already been handed out, Buster, is going to start with a four. Uh, you know what? Why not? Like, if that's all you care about, if you're not worried about making a profit, if you're not worried about offending the other owners and your whole goal is to win a championship, and I think that's where Peter Seidler is, then why not? And, and, you know, they shocked us with the Machado signing. I remember criticizing, ripping the Padres for that, saying, you know, this is unsustainable. You're not going to have an owner who's going to spend that type of money. Well, guess what they do? They do have that guy and Peter Seidler. Then last summer, they make the big deal for Juan Soto. And I know casual fans were shocked that the Padres would go all in. Well, you know what? They, to me, moving forward, are the team to watch. The, and we learned that from the fact that they finished second in the Trey Turner voting, despite wildly outbidding the Phillies. Wow. Uh, from wow. what my sources are telling me. 60 seconds. Tell me why you think it's a joke that only one person's getting into the Hall of Fame based on the votes from the selection committee. Well, only the Baseball Hall of Fame could find a way to collect 16 people to uh, select a player or players to the Hall of Fame. And those players could include Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Kurt Schilling and any number of other really, really great players. And then the one player they wind up on is Fred McGriff. With all due respect to Fred McGriff, and I'm really happy for the guy, right? Fred McGriff is at best a fringe Hall of Famer who is nowhere close to some of the other guys he was up against here. This is a guy that never got to 40%. 40% by the writers. You need 75% for induction. He barely got halfway there. Never once in his career, Buster, did he finish top three in MVP voting. Never once, Buster, by war, was he ever amongst the top three players in his league. Yes, he was brilliant in the 95 and 96 postseason. Yes, had we not had the 94 strike, he would have gotten to 500 home runs. But in order to get yourself to a place where Fred McGriff belongs in the Hall of Fame, you are presuming innocence when it comes to performance-enhancing drugs, and you have to talk yourself into him being a victim of that era. If you want to go there, okay, fine. But the bottom line of it is this. 
they assembled that collection of people to put Fred McGriff into the Hall of Fame, which they did, and they assembled that collection of people to ensure that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens were rebuked, and they were. So the Hall of Fame, as always, got what they wanted, but this process from soup to nuts, don't make any mistake about it, Buster, was an absolute sham. Yeah, and the ballot limits again, the ballot limit of three, I find to be incredibly disrespectful to the individual players. Mm. Uh, you know, and I, and I hate the idea that, you know, for the next, until the next time their names appear on a ballot, you know, if you, if you are uh, Don Mattingly, if you're Dale Murphy, if you're Bond, you're Clemens, you're Kurt Schilling, you have to sit back and, and go through this whole thing again. Uh, I, I, I just, yeah. when their careers individually really were not assessed in this, uh, in this process, because of what we talked no. about. All right. How about no, you got it, man. Thanks for doing this. Uh, we'll be back in touch later in the week. Later, friends. Go, Phil. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. She's up and at them in San Diego. Uh, I, I can't can't possibly get up and do those type of shows that early the way you are, Sarah. So thanks again for joining us uh, from the West Coast. Oh, my goodness. First of all, that is not true. You're the early bird of early birds in baseball, in reporting, all of that. But thank you so much for having me. And it's going great so far, for sure. Yeah, well, uh, it's certainly a lot of action out there uh, with the signings that we've already had. Uh, and I you know, was talking with Paul Ambikides about this really interesting backstory on the Turner signing with the Phillies and that the Padres dramatically outbid the Phillies, but Turner, for family considerations, uh, you know, great for Trey Turner, signed with the Philadelphia Phillies. But my read on this is, boy, if the Padres are out there being that aggressive with Turner, that's good news for Carlos Correa or Xander Bogarts or Aaron Judge. If you're the Padres, you're running the Padres. I'm going to turn you into A.J. Preller for the sake of this conversation. Which of those three other guys would you go after? You know, I think... Obviously, we've talked about all of them. They're all outstanding players. But my instinct when you say it is to say Correa, in part because of age. We know he debuted very young, so he is kind of in that Herper and Machado situation where he is a free agent at a younger age than we often see. And I know he's a free agent now for the second time. But I think... Overall, we were talking yesterday about how guys may age, and I would take the younger player in that situation. So I think I would gravitate towards him. Maybe I'm also thinking about him going on uh, TBS in the postseason and breaking down advanced stats and thinking about how that's sort of an intangible he brings as well. I mean, they're all great, but the Padres, have Manny Machado, they'll have Fernando Tatis back. They have Juan Soto. I think they have the power, but I would like to see what Correa could bring. But any of them would be such a slash. And again, this is what the Padres have done under A.J. Preller, is make that move that a week prior we never would have predicted. Boy, I, I, you know, it's funny, and you're right. You can make a, a great case for all three of them. It would be fun to see Judge and Soto in the on-deck circle oh, yeah. as the opposing pitcher was warming up, uh, you know, and, and them going over notes. Uh, and it also would be fun. You talked about how, you know, great Correa could be. 
I love the idea of, of Xander Bogarts and Manny Machado playing alongside each other. I think those two guys would have so much fun playing together on the left side of the infield. So if, in fact, the Padres are going to pivot hard off a of Turner and pursue one of these other three guys, and it would make sense that they would, they're going to wind up with a great player. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 10. So with Justin Berlander going to the Mets, we now have had 10 Cy Young winners that have changed teams in the offseason after winning. I believe we talked about this when he won, the fact that it was pretty rare to be a free agent, but that's 10 Cy Young winners to change teams. Four of those were via trade. Six of them were in free agency. There have only been three MVPs to change teams after winning that year. We talked about that last week. But, of course, we have the potential now to have Berlander change teams and Aaron Judge change teams. We don't know yet, as of when we're talking, where he might end up for 2023 and beyond. So only once have we had a reigning MVP and a reigning Cy Young change teams in the same offseason. And it's this offseason that keeps coming up this year. It's 1992. Barry Bonds, as a free agent, went from the Pirates to the Giants, and Greg Maddox won the Cy Young. He went, of course, from the Cubs to the Braves, also as a free agent. It is amazing how every Aaron Judge parallel ends up being Barry Bonds. I don't know if that means he's going to sign with the Giants. It still feels like that's probably an outside shot, but it is incredible how every historical note brings us back to that year, that offseason. Number two. Number two is 11. So Trey Turner going to the Phillies, as you mentioned before, that's an 11-year deal. I was blown away when I realized this. So we know that there have been contracts in that 10-plus year range. When you look at extensions, of course, Julio Rodriguez this year, we had Fernando Tatis, of course, uh, Mike Trout. There have been plenty. But if you look at three agent contracts to be more than 10 years, there have been two. Bryce Harper, 13 years with the Phillies, and now Trey Turner, 11 years with the Phillies. So it is incredible. It is the same team, and these contracts are going to overlap. So quite the uh, future that we already know for the Phillies, but pretty funny that the only fringing contracts of at least 11 years have both been handed out by the same team. Number one. Number one is 38. So 2023 is going to be Max Scherzer's age 38 season. Each season is your age on June 30th. It's an attempt to sort of universalize across the board. Nelson Cruz's birthday is July 1st. We won't go down that rabbit hole, but it can be silly, but we're going to use it. So Max Scherzer, age 38 season in 2023, Justin Verlander in his age 40. So, you know, obviously from the Mets to be competitive in 2023, they're going to be expecting and hoping for healthy seasons from both of those guys. And at this you know, point in the game, we tend to think of 30 starts as a threshold. 
there have been eight teams to get 30-plus starts from two different starters in their age 38 season or older in a single year. The Yankees in 2013 with Hiroki Kuroda and Andy Pettit. The 05 Red Sox with Tim Wakefield and David Wells. 04 Mets with Glavin and Al Leiter. The 03 Yankees with Roger Clemens and Wells again. The 1990 and 1989 Rangers with Charlie Huff and Nolan Ryan. 1985 Astros with Joe Negro and, of course, Nolan Ryan again. And the 1984 Phillies with Steve Carlton and Jerry Kuzman. So it has happened, and I wouldn't put it past these two guys, but it's certainly not the norm. And you look at that, and, of course, that is the downside to having these two incredible Hall of Fame pitchers at this point. Yeah, two future Hall of Famers for sure. And also, uh, interestingly, you know, these guys pitched with the Tigers together, and Scherzer has acknowledged they were not the best of friends when they were the team. Uh, and it got me to thinking over the weekend after uh, they, the Mets missed out on DeGrom that, uh, and they began to pivot toward Verlander, that this was going to be sort of like the modern-day version of, of two pitchers, Hall of Fame caliber that Buck Showalter managed in the past, and that would be Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling. Is that a fair comparison in your eyes? It seems like it. And I mean, it is incredible to think of the fact that these two guys at this point in their careers are going to be reuniting. I Everything you said, I've seen those quotes as well uh, from Scherzer. But the idea that you can do a side-by-side with 2012 and 2013, I mean, it's just a really cool thing that it's possible in this game with the length that these careers can be. And they're only the second team to have two guys who won three or more Cy Youngs on the roster at the same time. The 21 Dodgers had Kershaw and Scherzer, and then now they will. There's a funny thing with Steve Carlton and uh, Tom Seaver in the 80s, but they were never actually on the roster together. At the same time, so we're not going to count them in that uh, in that situation. Yeah, I had forgotten about Carlton Seaver, uh, but yeah. All right, Sarah, uh, thanks for doing this. And I would imagine if we get big news today, uh, you know, Correa, a Bogarts, a Judge will be back in touch. Sounds good. I can't wait. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. 
NextGuard Plus Chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. And Tim Kirchin covers baseball for ESPN. Uh, today, that means talking about Justin Verlander and his contract with the Mets, his relationship with Max Scherzer, uh, you know, Aaron Judge, Brian Cashman's contract. But, Tim, I, I want to pick up on a thread that uh, you know I touched on as uh, Paul Hembikides and I were kicking around the contract that Trey Turner got with the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, I think moving forward, based on the information that the Padres blew the Phillies out of the water in terms of the dollar figures they had on the table for Turner, I got to believe that there's a huge ripple effect moving forward uh, from the fact that they didn't get Turner, which is going to be good news for maybe Carlos Correa, maybe Xander Bogarts. And this is total speculation on my part, Aaron Judge, because as I said to Hembo, if you're willing to spend $350 million, $360 million on Trey Turner, I'm going all in on Aaron Judge if I'm the Padres. What do you think? Yeah, look, it's the Padres, and I believe only the Mets have a higher payroll than the Padres, which proves, of course, they are willing to spend an enormous amount of money. Also, let's not forget, A.J. Preller is their general manager. We've talked about him many times. He is not going to rest until he puts the perfect team together or a better team together, a team that can compete with the Dodgers, who right now are a little bit down given their situation. Now's the time to strike, and I would be shocked if the Padres didn't do anything to major to upgrade their offense, which needs some help right now. Let's just say you're right, Buster, and they go get Carlos Correa and put him at shortstop, and when Tatis Jr. comes back, he plays center field. Um, suddenly you have the makings of a much better offensive team than the one that they have right now. And it's clear they're going to have to become a much better offensive team if they're going to be a team that can win the World Series. So never, ever underestimate where the Padres are when A.J. J. Preller is in charge and Peter Seidler is the money man. Can you imagine a Padres lineup which sometime in the middle of next year after Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, finishes his suspension, goes Tatis Jr., and then fill in the blank, Judge, Correa, Bogarts, then Manny Machado and Juan. So what about that? Yeah, it's they, they don't even need two of them. If they just get Tatis and another big hitter, in your words, Judge or Correa, then look at that lineup. That is a completely different look. Jay Cronenworth is in there also. That is a stout offensive team. And there's just no way you get people excited about Juan Soto like they did and Josh Hader 
and get beaten by the Phillies and just sit back and say, all right, we did our best. No, that's not how A.J. Preller works. I've told you a hundred times, Buster. He is so wildly competitive. He will tear your throat out before he'll let you beat him in a two-on-two basketball game, let alone trying to win the World Series. So I fully expect the Padres to be active. And if you're right about Trey Turner, where they were headed on him, you're right. They're going for way, they're going for way more than what they have right now. All right, so what do you think about Trey Turner landing with the Phillies? Well, it's great for the Phillies. He is a tremendous player. I think he's an above-average defensive shortstop, but offensively he is dynamic on every level. There were times in the postseason, and I saw the Phillies a lot in this postseason, where you could really pitch to them. They had guys who had a lot of swing and miss there, but – Trey Turner gives them a different element now, putting the ball in play, getting a hit, stealing a base. And wherever you hit him, you can hit him first, second, or third. He's going to be a dynamic offensive player. Now look at the Phillies, where the Braves are right now without Dansby Swanson at shortstop, where the Mets are right now with a whole, at least one in their pitching staff still, and some offensive issues, I think you can make the case that the Phillies might be the best team in the division right now. Of course, they went to the World Series last year, but, man, they've got five guys on their team, if I count right, who are on a $100 million contract now, and he's making more than almost all of them. But we 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 blast teams all the time, Buster, for not spending money and doing what it takes. It's hard to turn around and say, the Phillies are doing too much, or they gave too much to Trey Turner. You can't have it both ways. So tell me if you're Rob Thompson, you got this little grin on your face because you get to write out the lineup. How are you going to structure the top of their lineup? Because I'm going, I think, Trey Turner one, Kaz Schwarber two, JT Real Muto hitting three, and I got Bryce Harper hitting four when he gets back. What do you think? Well, I love it. I, I'll live with that. And then you got Castellanos and Bohm and, and a few others, Reese Hoskins after that. Um, I would hit Turner first. I would also get Harper up in the first inning. It's a little pet peeve of mine. Let's, let's get your best player up in the first inning of every game if possible. Uh, but they have so many options. And Scott Schwarber had 46 homers as a leadoff guy last year. There are all sorts of ways to go there. And Turner, of course, hit leadoff second and third for the Dodgers and the Nationals. He can hit wherever you want him. Just another plus for a player that is going to make an enormous difference on their team. And maybe the the most underrated part of the line, I think Alec Bohm next year is going to have a big step, I, step forward. I, I thought we saw elements of that this year, and I thought we saw it in the postseason. Him hitting behind that group of guys at the top of the lineup, Tim, he might – and not that anyone cares about RBI anymore, but he might have so many opportunities that he drives in 110 runs hitting fifth or sixth. Yeah, again, I saw them a lot in the offseason. And Kyle Schwarber just looked at me at the batting cage one day as Bohm's hitting balls all over the field. He said, that's one of the best right-handed hitters in the game. People aren't aren't recognizing that now, but they will. And maybe next year's year he takes another step forward after the one he took this year. Justin Verlander signs with the Mets, two-year deal. I love the fact that he gets exactly what Max Scherzer got, $43.3 million, because that feels like uh, (laughs) Justin's personality. He's competitive, right? He's going to want to 
match uh, coming off a of Cy Young year, he's going to want to match what the highest paid pitcher got, especially because it's Max Scherzer, Tim. Um, you know, I, I, I laughed as this, uh, when, when DeGrom decided to sign with the Rangers and the Mets' attention turned to Verlander, I thought to myself, yeah, that makes sense because Buck Showalter managed Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling, two Hall of Fame caliber pitchers who were not the best of friends. Right. Well, the competitiveness of Verlander, I've told you a hundred stories about that from walking to get to the door before anyone else to his exploits on the golf course. And of course, to pitching, he's already said he wants to be like Tom Brady and pitch till he's 45. He's got two more really good years left in him. And therefore this is a really good deal for the Mets. Now they have to add another starting pitcher. Let's not forget they lost to Grom. And as of now, Bassett and Taiwan Walker, they're going to have to go get Bassett back or another starting pitcher in order to be a really good team again, and then fix a few things offensively. What are they doing with Nimmo? Is he gone? All this stuff. But I love what they did. And Verlander's going to come in there and he's going to show everyone now I'm going to win a World Series for the Mets. And two 40-year-olds or close to it are going to pitch the Mets to a World Series. We'll see where those two guys are in October. But I will still take my chances with Scherzer and Verlander at the top of a rotation for this year and for next. Yeah, and from what I understand, you know, the Mets strategy – as Billy Epler took over, is essentially, look, uh, we need to rebuild the farm system. We need to restock. We need to develop a pipeline. So in the interim, let's sign some veteran players to shorter-term deals. So the Mark Canas and Eduardo Escobar, uh, you know, Max Scherzer, they're on two- and three-year contracts. And underneath that, the Mets aren't working on building their farm system. That's what the Dodgers did. Right. When the Guggenheim group took over that team, that made a lot of sense for the Dodgers. It certainly has paid off. I think it's smart what the Mets are doing. I think Verlander on a two year deal is great, especially for a franchise that can pay that sort of uh, contract. Uh, Yesterday, you know, Yankee fans were on edge as they wait the decision, just as the Yankees are on edge uh, of Aaron Judge. They announced that Brian Cashman got a four year deal. If you follow this on social media, Tim, uh, it made you cringe because Yankee fans are unhappy with Brian Cashman. I get asked on radio all the time, you know, why does Hal keep him? Why is Brian Cashman still with the Yankees? And my response is always, okay, so Yankee fans may not be happy with what's been going on with the team, but if Brian Cashman became a free agent, he would have a job in 0.1 seconds. What was your reaction when you saw the Yankees kept Cashman? Well, I wasn't surprised because I thought they would all along. And if I were a Yankee fan, I would be happy about that. Look, I know they haven't won a world or been to the World Series since 2009. I know they haven't won it in 13 years. I understand, but they, they're a competitive team every year. They go to the playoffs every year. They've been over 500 for a stretch now, the second longest stretch ever over 500 to the great Yankee teams of the 20s, 30s, and 40s, and 50s. That's what Brian Cashman does every year. Even while he rebuilds the team, the team is a competitive team and usually a playoff team. But having said that, and I think it's great that they brought him back. Now he's got a lot of work to do because he's got to fix that team uh, with or without Aaron judge. If they lose him, he's got an enormous amount of work to do. If they re-sign him, it's a great move for the Yankees. And then they still 
have some things to do. So Brian Cashman should be everyone I think should be happy he's back, but he's got some work to do. 75 seconds left. Uh, if the Yankees are unable to sign Judge, they will do a hard pivot into the shortstop market. And I think the guy that they're going to target, Tim, is Xander Bogarts, who also, as we talked about, might be getting attention from, has already gotten some attention from the San Diego Padres. He's in a great place, Tim, Bogarts, to absolutely blow out of the water the offer that the Red Sox gave him in the spring, which was $90 million with three, uh, the Red Sox offering a one-year extension on top of three years. I feel like that right now the Red Sox might be under more pressure than any other organization. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how the Red Sox, again, can justify letting Xander Bogarts get away. If you're interested in winning the division, getting back to the playoffs, and more important, not finishing in last place again, you better re-sign him. He's going to get more than twice the $90 million. He'll get to $200 million before he's done because of the, the competitive market for shortstops. And if the Yankees are truly involved on any level for Xander Bogarts and the Red Sox let him go there, imagine what Dan Shaughnessy would write in the Globe about that. Oh, my goodness. It would be it would be really nasty. So far, the Red Sox have signed Chris Martin. There were reports last night that they were in pursuit of Tommy Canely, a reliever. I can tell you, Tim, having grown up in New England, that would not satisfy Red Sox Nation, two relievers. <laughs> right. Well, again, Hein Bloom said we're going to go get eight or nine players to support the team. I get it that they may be two of them, but there better be some really big name guys brought in or re-signed or signed long term. Otherwise, uh, Red Sox Nation is not going to be happy. Tim, thanks for doing this. Okay, Buster. See you soon. Bleacher tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets. For Tuesday, Philly on top at that kitchen door writes in, does the Philly signing Trey Turner make them a big threat to go back and even win the World Series next season? Yeah, the, as Tim was talking about, the National League East is a powerhouse because uh, I, I think the Braves on paper might be the best team. We'll see if they re-sign Dansby Swanson. You got the Mets. Uh, they were going to be aggressive again. And you have the Phillies backing up what they did this year. I think one of the big questions is, when does Bryce Harper get back from the Tommy John surgery and how effective is he going to be when he gets back? PK Steinberg writes in, do you think that JT Real Muto, the 2022 stolen base leader for the Phillies feels threatened with the addition of Trey <laughs> Turner to the lineup? If you know JT's personality, uh, he probably will gladly hand over the uh, title of being the home run or excuse me, the stolen base King for the Philadelphia Phillies Trey Turner with these new stolen base rules, you know, with the, the limits on number of pickoff throws, he could be an absolute monster next year. Maybe steal 50, 60 bases. Ooh, that would be fun. Last one for today, Amy Chapman at Amy R. Chapman writes in, how does this, how does this, which she's referring to the Hall of Fame special committee, work moving forward? How often do they meet? How are candidates added or dropped from the list? Yeah, and Amy, I, I I can't give you an exact answer because they change the rules from time to time. They change the the composition of, of what the committee's looking at, but it usually goes in cycles of about every three years, uh, and they will uh, you know work from a list uh, of, of eligible players and you know put that up for consideration. I think it, who was it yesterday who was talking? Oh, Dave Schoenfield mentioned that in the past Dwight Evans had been a candidate in this group, he'd actually gotten a lot of votes and he wasn't included in that special committee uh, consideration <laughs> on, on Sunday. 
So the big, I think the big takeaway from that, uh, from the voting on Sunday, is that these players are going to have to wait a few years before their names appear on a ballot again. And unless they change the ballot limits, it may be a long, long time for some of these guys to actually get serious consideration on their uh, careers, uh, you know, being judged on their own merits. What a mess. How depressing. Okay. Well, that's it for Leisure Tweets. Uh, Keep the tweets coming, and uh, we will be back if there's more enormous breaking news like we were today. So fear not. If something happens, we will appear in your podcast feed, uh, you know, the next morning. That's it for today. My thanks to Tim, Sarah, Hembo, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And yeah, uh, we will be back tomorrow if you get an Aaron Judge signing or maybe some sort of a you know deal, Carlos Correa, maybe a Xander Bogarts, and we'll uh, we'll talk about all that.